Hello and welcome to The Jewelarian, the podcast for those who love jewels and their stories. With me, Josie Goodbody, jewellery historian and author of the Jemima Fox mystery series, which have just been optioned for adaption to the screen. Hi, today I'm speaking with Katya Hills of the Art Loss Register. And before I introduce Katya fully, I'm actually going to let her do it because she knows exactly, obviously, what she does and can explain exactly what the Art Loss Register does, which is an incredibly important register of stolen art and Katia's division, watches and jewellery. So Katia, hi. Thank you so much for being here today. I'm really excited about, I love all my podcast episodes, but I'm particularly excited about this one because I'm, obviously I write about jewellery heists. Sometimes when I say I was in a jewellery heist, people think that I was doing the heist, but no, I happened to be a PR when Graf was, was, was burgled. In, um, you haven't learned the tactics yet. <laughs> I'm hoping to pick up some from you. So, um, so anyway, hi, welcome to the Jewelarium. Can you tell everyone, all the millions of listeners that I have, and probably some thieves, all about the Art Loss Register, and particularly um, the watches and jewellery division that you run? Thank you so much for having me. Yes, hopefully we'll be not giving too much away for the thieves or rather scaring them off, let's say. Absolutely yeah. scaring them off. With our work. So what we do, my, I work for a company called the Art Loss Register and we run the world's largest private database of lost and stolen artworks, jewellery, watches, antiques, musical instruments, collectibles, you name it, anything that can be bought and sold at auction or through a dealership. We have over... 700,000 items on the database. Of those, uh, we have 70,000 watches and uh, 40 to 50,000 pieces of stolen jewellery. And we're talking here only about unique pieces that could be identified on the market. So we register not just lost and stolen items, even though that is the bulk of our database, but we also register items that are subject to a dispute Um, items that have been illegally exported. Uh, When it comes to things like antiquities, we're also looking at items that have been illegally excavated from the ground. Uh, We also look at pieces that have gone missing in wartime and especially looted by the Nazis in World War II. So there's a very wide range of different types of losses and risks uh, that we register. I'll also add to that fake items as well, particularly when it comes to watches. Uh, Fakes are very prevalent. So we register serial numbers associated with fakes to warn people against buying those. And uh, the way we work is that we record these items on our database that are sent to us by police forces, insurance companies. They notify us of these losses, as well as theft victims directly. So if anyone there has out there who's listening has had a piece of jewellery stolen from them, They can report it to us directly and we will assist them with recovering it. And once these items are registered on our database, we start searching for them on the international market. So we check the transactions of auction houses, dealerships, pawnbrokers, jewellers, anyone basically who's looking to buy or sell an item can check it before the transaction. And at that moment, that's when we identify the match and we take steps then to recover the item. Because I spoke with um, Tristan Atkins of SJ Phillips and he told me about a story about a particular ring that I think that they were going to sell. And the transaction had to kind of stop part way and they had to call the police about for the man who was selling it. And I think he knew that it was stolen. 
yet he still yeah. went about selling it. That must be yeah, terrible. He did work with Sir Phillips really closely, and that, that is what he described as the, the crucial moment when we do identify a stolen piece, which when it's being offered with a watch dealer or a to a jewellery store, the seller, who is the current holder or the owner, is actually physically there in the shop and they're offering the piece for sale. And so when we identify a match, we have a few minutes really to secure the item, make sure that the person selling it doesn't just turn around and walk away with it. So we want to make sure that it's secured um, and we have to have their contact details. We need to know who that person is so we can follow up. We can notify the police if it was a crime uh, originally. So there is that sort of few, that that golden moment where we have to follow up. And um, so we, we are very active in doing that. And especially when it comes to watches, we find two to three stolen watches every day so this sort of <gasps> scenario does crop up very often and um so we always have to have someone on hand to be able to take that case on as soon as it arises so have you ever had to kind of go into for example the sj phillips or when they had a couple of kind of store on bond street and did you have to have to actually go in yourself almost like a police officer and say no do we don't go into the stores ourselves dangerous yeah, exactly. And sometimes it can be, um, uh, you know, there can be some conflict in the store because obviously the person offering it for sale wants the item back, um, especially if they know that there's a problem, uh, they can potentially get a bit aggressive or threatening. And so we always try to minimise that situation by telling the store they should tell the person who's offering the item for sale that they're doing a check with our database before going ahead with it so that the person's warned if they're not if they're not happy with that, they can just turn around and walk away because the safety of the store and the staff is absolutely paramount. And um, one of the things they should always do is, um, you know, uh, get those details of the seller before running a check with us. So at least if the person does leave the store, we have some means of following absolutely. up. So when we don't turn up, sometimes uh, the stores will, when, when, a, when a match, what we call a match is when we identify a stolen item, when we flag that up, they will bring the item to our offices um, in order to hand the matter over to us and then we take it forward with the victims and the police. So can you, winding right back, so please can you tell me about the Art Loss Register? Yeah, of course. So the Art Loss Register was set up 30 years ago. It was uh, founded by our chairman, who's still very much involved with the business, uh, Julian Radcliffe, and it came about as a coming together of the insurance industry and the art world. There were interests on both sides there. And the insurers, obviously, who were paying out on lots of claims to do with stolen jewellery and watches and artworks, they were looking for a way to recover those losses and identify those items when they're turning off the markets. And on the other side of things, the auction world and the art market were looking to prevent uh, the sale of stolen goods and they wanted to have a way to protect themselves in order to flag these items up um, and and prevent the sale from actually proceeding. So the obvious idea for that was having one database, one central database where all of these losses could be registered. The Anyone can register a stolen item there, whether it's a police officer, a victim or an insurer or someone representing a claimant. And anyone can search the database. So if you're an auction house, if you're a dealership, um, if you're a jeweler, even if you're an independent trader or collector, you can run a search on an item before going ahead with the transaction 
and then have the peace of mind and reassurance that what you're buying will be your rightful property and you won't have any nasty surprises later down the line. And obviously for auction houses and dealerships who want to protect their reputation and make sure that they're not becoming known for selling stolen goods, they want to minimise any risks of that sort and protect themselves from financial losses, it's really important to do those checks um, before going ahead with the sale. And of course, then they can use that as a way to promote um, their due diligence standards to their to their buyers and reassure people that they're doing all the right checks before sale. Um, and you started the watch register. Is yes, that right? Exactly. Amazing. Yes. So uh, we started that in uh, 2014. And that came about as a result of the fact that we saw we had a substantial amount of stolen watch data on our database and it was growing very rapidly. Um, there were lots of insurers and, who were wanting to recover losses in this area and police forces were becoming increasingly interested in it um, because watches were being stolen so frequently in major smashing grabs from jewellery stores, but also just from individuals who are being targeted on the street for their watch that they were wearing on their wrist. So it was becoming an increasing problem um, to the point that watches are, in a sense, the sort of currency now in the criminal world. They're bought and sold, um, you know, so quickly and traded very fast you, after, you the, said two after the death. You said Pardon. two you said two or three a day yes exactly um, that's, that's how many we're finding at the moment but obviously the more um people start searching our database internationally and we're expanding very quickly across the globe um the more opportunities we'll have to find these watches so we launched a specialist service called the watch register which would cater specifically to the watch trade whose way of doing business is quite different to the art market so um, when you go to an auction house and you're looking to sell a painting, for example, um, there's quite a long process in terms of you know, establishing which auction it's going to go into, the price, etc. Um, whereas with a piece of whereas with a watch, um, to a degree also with jewelry, but specifically with watches, the transaction happens very quickly. So a person going into a shop or a pawnbroker store to, to, to offer it. Um, then uh, either either for a loan or for a sale, they will be looking for a quote and a sale ideally within a matter of minutes or maybe yes. an hour. So we, um, as a result of that, uh, launched a service which would offer a five minute turnaround check. Um, so that means that anyone can check a watch within a matter of minutes. We tend to know where the watch is because like I said earlier, it tends to be in the shop um, at that time and so uh, it it makes it very easy for us then to follow up um, and recover the watch and return it to the rightful owner. That's amazing and then obviously jewellery came within this particular division of the art loss register. Mm -hmm. Was that just a natural progression, organic development? Yeah so with, with jewellery a lot of the dealers who use us to check watches will also check jewellery with us but um, both watches and jewellery were always part of the art loss register and they were items that we were always registering on our database but also checking when they were surfacing on the market so um, we'd be checking jewellery sales for the top auction houses we work very closely with you know Christie's, Sotheby's, Bonhams, Phillips for example we check every item that goes through their sales um, so we have been doing this for a very long time but the yes. Register allowed us to accelerate um, the development of those services in the watch trade specifically um, because the ultimate goal is to get as many people as possible using the service because the more traders checking with us, the more chances we have to spot stolen goods and therefore the more stolen items we can recover. 
It's amazing. It's incredible. And and obviously you work closely with the police and we've spoken about how, you, you know, you phone them off, but also, you know, Interpol. So, yeah, so with the police, of course, we have to work with them very closely in order to fight this type of crime. And um, we work particularly uh, closely with the flying squad um, in uh, the Metropolitan Police in London um, on watch on stolen watches because there are so many thefts happening in central London of that sort and they're often linked to to serious uh, or violent crime. Uh, So the police are very hot on this topic of stolen watches Um, but we do work with forces across the UK and also globally of course Interpol, Europol um, on recording stolen goods on our database and also recovery so what we do is we allow for very quick communication between police forces internationally um, because when we find an item we obviously have our connections worldwide so we can if we if we find a stolen item in London and it's been stolen in New York or Hong Kong we're able to very quickly liaise with the different police forces in order to bring about a resolution and we will always share with them whatever information we have and seek further details of the parties involved what CCTV evidence can we obtain uh, that might be useful for their investigation Um, they also use our database as an investigative tool um, to look into suspected uh, crimes like money laundering or the handling of stolen goods Um, and we also work with police forces when they recover items that they believe to be stolen but they don't know who the rightful owner is so if there is some abandoned property uh, that surfaces anywhere uh, in a public space for example they will come to us and say look we found these pieces this is how we can describe them here's some photographs and we will we will be able to match them up with the rightful owners who originally registered those items with us. And that's what happened at an airport in Scotland, didn't it, with the Duchess of Argyle? Similar, but uh, in that case, yes. So the Duchess of Argyle, she left her jewellery at um, a Glasgow airport. And um, when we were conducting checks on some auction houses, which is what we typically do, the auctioneers who work with us, they will ask us to check every item over a given threshold value in their catalogues. Um, One of the pieces turned up for sale and... We looked into that uh, more closely with the police um, and obviously with the victims as well uh, for the identification. And once that was confirmed that it was a brooch from that same loss, um, she thought that the bag which had the jewellery in it had just been stolen. But in fact, she just left it somewhere and it turned out that it had gone to the abandoned property of the airport and they had resold it because it was unclaimed. Um, oh my and uh, then it turned out the vendor to that sale um, actually had all of the rest of the items uh, that had gone missing uh, still with them. So we were able to assist with the recovery then and return all of the items to her. And what happened with the vendor? I mean, he must have or she must have bought this bag of beautiful jewellery, but it must have been quite a scary moment to have you I guys. Think it's a scary moment for anyone when they, yeah, when they realise that they are in possession of a stolen item. And or in this case, lost items, fortunately. Yeah, in this case, them. lost items, but equally something that's not theirs. And yeah. so typically what people will do is that they'll go back to... Um, the person that sold them the item and seek compensation um, and there is an incentive there because no one wants to be holding lost or stolen property so there is an incentive for them to cooperate and um, find a resolution because also they won't then be able to sell those those same goods elsewhere because if they try to take them to a different auction house or a dealership who also ran a check with us 
we'd still keep flagging it up. So that person who is holding the stolen property is stuck in a sense. So they have to come to the table and find a resolution with us. Um, so that's what typically would happen. But we usually do find pieces which have come from a loss or a theft with someone who has absolutely no idea that they um, are stolen. They don't know their origins. They bought them without having a clue Absolutely. where they came from and they're completely innocent that's and, so sad, and we, isn't it? of course yeah of course yeah. but that's why they we usually work down the chain and they will go yes. back and ask the person who bought them who, who sold uh, them the items for compensation so let's now talk about the actual thefts themselves because although very distressing for whoever is being burgle doesn't sound quite as dramatic as it actually is in the, in the real light of day when someone is like with the graphs um highest in 2009 when you've got two guys who are walking into your boutique on bond street with masks on wigs on and getting you to get down on the ground burgled sounds not quite the right <laughs> attacked or it's more yeah, like i'd say that's more of a heist yeah right, exactly but what's the verb heisted i don't know i don't like bench one so obviously that's when i became particularly interested in these thefts and which inspired my novels about mm-hmm. jewelry mysteries and mine obviously historical um jewelry so i kind of combined the idea of a heist with with historical ones but I was particularly fascinated after the graph heist in 2009 when um, the next day, not only was it all over the newspapers, but it was also the word the Pink Panthers were, were being talked about, written about, suspected. And I had only known of the Pink Panthers, obviously, from the Peter Sellers films that I grew up on, thanks to my father's complete obsession with. Inspector Clouseau. But the, actually, I then started investigating into the Pink Panthers, this gang of jewelry thieves who are I mean I mean they are masterminds of a jewelry heist and a watch heist their background is quite fascinating as well but can you tell me a little bit about the Pink Panthers because you've obviously recovered more than several items of jewelry and watches that have been stolen in heists you know they've stolen something like a billion euros worth of of watches and jewelry in the last 20 years since they kind of started. They, there was even a, um, a brilliantly named division, part of Interpol, called the Pink Panther Working Group. Project Diamond, it's now called. But can you tell me a little bit about how they work? So the Pink Panthers inspired countless robberies and heists uh, in, in the following decades after they uh, started operating. And their signature style was a very carefully orchestrated I mean they sometimes theft. take three years planning a theft exactly so I mean, that is unbelievable so much time goes into the planning yeah. there will usually be many people involved um someone who will uh be the person to distract the sales assistants and the jewelry stores uh someone else who will be doing the sleight of hand um, you know, there'll be there'll be a number of people in this operation, someone who'll be there waiting to take um, the goods away. Um, so there's always a getaway car, um, but they will come and very carefully scout out the premises. 
And this is exactly what happened um, in the Graf Diamonds theft as well. There was With a, that, I mean, they didn't try a reconnaissance and... visit and uh, yeah. they come to scout out the venue to see where the CCTV cameras are, where are the security guards, what are the hours of operation, what, um, what businesses are on either side of the jewellery store, because occasionally they might make a hole in the wall or they might come in through the back or, um, you know, by the roof. So, which is what happens on the Hatton Garden heist when the um, uh, the, the gang of um, old men from the East End came in over Easter weekend and just came in through the lift shaft and uh, made a huge noise and spent the whole weekend clearing out the safety deposit. So, um, there's different ways of accessing the property. Sometimes it happens during opening hours, uh, sometimes after closure. Um, but there is always a lot of thought and planning that goes into how uh, the theft will actually take place and equally into how the goods will be disposed of afterwards. Um, so with uh, with the Graf Diamonds... Um, but that problem, wasn't Pink Panther though, was it? It wasn't a Pink Panther case. It was a no. copycat, wasn't they it? They knew exactly what they were after and that's also another... Uh, a typical aspect to this sort of crime is that it's very targeted so they know they're going for this specific item and um, they've already worked out what the cabinet that that item is in is like and what the security is like around it um, and so uh, they're in and out as quickly as possible I think speed is really the key but, to but the success but this of one, crimes. This one was very interesting because they were caught latterly they were caught on camera the actual theft happened on a Thursday in August, but they had actually been caught on camera two days previously on the Tuesday looking in the windows. So obviously what they had been commissioned to bar, to steal, wasn't there. And I remember that we were out on a fashion shoot, a jewellery shoot on the Tuesday, can't remember which magazine, and the pieces which were eventually stolen were on this on this fashion shoot with, with a magazine. So, so, um, so yeah, so they came back two days later, and they and they did um, and they did and they'd been to uh, this poor guy in um, a, a makeup artist in Soho, yeah. Arden, who 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 was then put on police protection until they were yeah. caught. Who'd, who'd put on their disguises when they came to, to visit so that they couldn't be be recognised? Yeah. Um, but they it, one of the items that they that they stole was a necklace that alone was worth over three million pounds so um they did know what were the high value items that they that were was going probably to. the one that was out on my shoot <laughs> yes <laughs> my god the so, jewelry no, they, took, they took a huge number of high value goods um but what happened was they botched the escape plan because uh they made a way and I, I i believe they crashed with a taxi a london yes. cab and um so they they had to try and get away by other means um, and they, they did successfully at that time. However, they left um, in the sort of rush to get away from their car. They left a mobile phone in the car, which was um, it, which led Crashed. to their downfall because that allowed the police to very quickly identify um, the people who were involved and their connections. And they were all brought to justice. However, none of the goods uh, were found. Uh, and so those those items still are out there somewhere. And um, that, that is part of the issue is that these people are able to very quickly dispose of the goods, hand them on to someone else. They're often taken abroad um, where they'll be less likely to be detected. And with jewellery specifically, it's very difficult because often items are not 
absolutely unique. So, you know, that even with a gemstone or a diamond, it is often laser inscribed with a GIA number, but those diamonds can be recut, their character can be changed. Um, they often don't have a serial number or anything like that. And if there are more distinctive items composed of multiple different gemstones or, you know, pieces of metal, the metal can be melted down, the gemstones can be taken out and sold separately. So that does make it extremely difficult to identify jewellery. Um, watches, on the other hand, have a unique serial number. If you were to tamper with that, it's so finely inscribed that any any dealer would, would immediately see that it's... Um, come from you know an illegitimate source and um so those watches are often just sold exactly as they are um they're resold very very quickly often within hours um and so that's why for us it's so important to get the items registered on our database as soon as possible because if we don't know about the uh, the theft or we don't know how the items are described we can't possibly start looking for them um, so that is really important but that's the big difference between watches and jewellery is we locate so so many watches because they have that unique serial number whereas jewellery is is really very difficult to identify. You can't break up watches really otherwise what's the point and you know what's the point in it you know whereas a piece of jewellery you know if you steal a three million plus necklace it's obviously set with an, with a, you know an, all, an enormous amount of ex- exquisite stones yeah well what what you do get with watches um when they are taken apart is to um combine them with fakes so this is another huge issue for the watch trade and they're called franken watches uh and they're a composite of fake and genuine parts and that way if you have a genuine watch you put it together with a fake watch you can sell basically two or more different watches um and some of them will have fake parts or, or genuine parts, which is sufficient to maybe fool some dealers who maybe um, will see that the dial looks genuine and so they'll take it on and offer yeah, of course. The, the, this, you know, true market value for an item. Um, and they do very, very much fool even the best experts. Um, the fakes are getting so good these days. Um, you just need one little telltale sign, which is sometimes on the watch itself or inside on the movement, potentially in the paperwork that came with the watch. It could be the font or something about the angle of the text that just gives it away. Oh, God, that's incredible. Really. So even, even not even the watch itself, but the, the documents that come with the watch, you can recognise whether or not it's a fake. Yeah, so the watches are extremely, the, the fakes that are being produced today are just extremely difficult to identify. Oh my goodness. For the top yeah. expert. So, but, um, so we were saying that even three million pound necklaces from Graf Diamonds or from Harry Winston or Cartier, you know, they are incredibly special, but they are not always one-offs. Um, however, you deal a lot with historical jewels, which are one-offs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, one particular theft that I've always been quite interested in because it's part of my husband's family is the theft of the Portland Tiara at the Welbeck Institute six years ago or so. So you can tell me a little bit about how that happened. And of course, that's never been found. And that's a really historical and very beautiful incredible tiara um there are lots of um photographs of it i mean one of diana starr's books amazing books ancestral jewels there's a photo of that in there but can you tell me about how they managed to do this yeah so stately homes are very high very much at risk and and very vulnerable uh so the portland tiara was stolen in 2018 and it was worth 
three and a half million pounds. Um, it was also stolen together with a brooch um, that was in the same cabinet with it. And like with many other many other items, like the Mary Queen of Scots rosary beads uh, that were stolen last um, last month from Arundel Castle that you mentioned, these are items that have immense cultural and historical value, um, especially the rosary beads. Um, the, the tiara obviously um, has material value to it as well, but um, primarily they're considered national treasures. And so they are very much the target of thieves. And um, again, you're seeing the same sort of style of theft, the carefully coordinated theft um, to what we spoke about with the Pink Panthers. Um, where the planning will have begun far before the theft is carried out. There'll be multiple people involved. Um, they will have, uh, with, these, with these buildings, obviously they're surrounded by lots of greenery and open space. Um, CCTV may not cover every single part of the property and the grounds. So they will have come to work out exactly where they um, should walk so as not to be identified. Um, and then they will disable the cameras as well. So again, to, to, to be able to evade the alarm systems and security and then make a very, very swift exit. So I think the success of it really does rely on that swift exit. Um, so they're just going straight for the item that they're looking for, smashing the cabinets and then just getting away as soon as possible. And then there'll be a getaway car um, waiting for them with both the um, Portland tiara and the uh, rosary beads, uh, that car was found to be burnt afterwards. So they're trying to destroy any traces of evidence and um, it is very difficult to follow up on these cases, of course. So um, with the Portland tiara, I think there was a conviction in fact, but the items have never been recovered. So um, again, you have the same issue that jewellery is hard to be identified. The worst case scenario is that it is you know, the, the metal is melted down and the pieces are not left um, with their sort of in, intrinsic... Uh, I mean, that's part, of, that's part of its pricelessness, isn't it? Is the fact exactly. that actually as separate, um, particularly the, the older pieces, much older, 100-year-old pieces of jewellery, you know, the diamonds as themselves aren't worth probably as much as they are if it was a, if it was a brand new cut diamond. Mm -hmm. um, because the, the newer cuts are so so incredibly clever, um, mm -hmm. but it was it's the fact that it was the Portland tiara, the fact that it was worn by the Duchess of Portland at da 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 da, da and, and, and its beautiful design by whoever it was um, over a hundred years ago. That's its its kind of pricelessness, isn't it? Exactly, um, exactly, and and they're you, absolutely unique. These items. It's like a trophy piece. The history, and yeah. I mean, it's history. exactly, and we know that as the general public, and the thieves also know that, and so um, they target those items because they 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 carry obviously a great deal of negotiating power. So if you have a piece like that, um, and you're a criminal gang, you know, you can use it in deals or trades with but other. How criminals. does that work? So yeah, so so, so they steal. So they steal these historical pieces. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, but they are so recognisable. But exactly. the fact is that they, if they break them up, they're not, as, they're not worth as much as, as, as if it was a brand new piece, as I just explained, which, of course, can be reset in different pieces. Or, you know, you might get an enormous yellow diamond from a tiara or from a necklace, and you can wear that on its own as a ring. So that can be completely mm -hmm. disguised. Um, but the historical pieces can't be. 
unless they're completely broken up and what's the point yeah so, so with what, these so what do they do with these yeah i mean they tend to stay underground for a really really long time like how many years you're talking um, 10 decades we can't even say i mean some of them never seem to surface um and so because they are so distinctive and so recognizable especially things like the rosary beads or the tiara if they were just resold even if they were taken across to the other side of yeah. the world and they would probably still be recognized because of the press coverage what's the point in taking them these heists received so they still like I said they they have some power and some currency in the criminal underworld and they when they stay underground for so long there they can be traded on the black market and they can be used to negotiate ransom with the insurer or the owner of the items it could even be used to try to negotiate a lesser sentence if those same criminal gangs are convicted of a different offence. Oh my goodness, um, I never thought of that. So they have this real power. And um, so that's why they may stay underground for such a long time. However, in other cases, we've seen that those sorts of items just become too hot to handle and the thieves don't know what to do with them they if they were to melt them down you know they'd hardly get any money for it um they don't want the hassle of trying to resell it and risk being detected so they just simply return them and or 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 or, or abandon them somewhere and this is what happened with the, the swedish crown jewels and i don't know if you remember this theft but it was the one where uh, the thieves made away in a motorboat down the down the river and I mean, the press absolutely loved this. Yeah, um, so James Bond. Got so much coverage. <laughs> and the jewels were then eventually returned. They were placed in a dustbin, just in a public space, in a bag yeah. labelled bomb with an anonymous <laughs> tip off to the police. So, you know, sometimes it's actually quite funny how these things get returned. And um, obviously that's, that's ideally, you know, the best case scenario is where the, you know, the thieves have their guilty conscience and they realise that actually there are people out there who are looking for these things and there's no point trying to resell them. And in fact, um, yesterday uh, I had um, a lady come into our offices who had um, registered a watch on our database that had been stolen from her home. And um, she said that she had just found it in her garden just a few days before and it had been thrown back over the fence. Um, wrapped in a bin bag and she only discovered it she had, you know just recently but it could have been there for a year or more she had no idea she just That's found it incredible. was it so a particularly special thoughts. was it a particularly special um watch because obviously it was a brightling so it was worth several thousand pounds yeah but I mean, that's that's kind of amazing that someone would steal it and then throw it over, throw it back over the fence because it's not it's not like it was too hot to handle because it's not was it a very unusual writing? Yes, but with serial numbers on watches, they know that if they take it to a jewelry store, it would be nothing they can do with it. up straight away, and then they're in trouble. So it's it's the best idea for them, really. <laughs> All that <laughs> effort to go about it. But all that effort to go about stealing it, to basically realise you can't do anything with it, and let's throw it back over the fence. Yeah, but that's how many thefts happen. You know, you, on the sort of on the flip side of these very carefully coordinated heists, you have the opportunist thefts where someone is just passing someone or something, and then they see you know the bit of bling that they want, and they without really thinking, they just grab it. Or you know, you might have just individual thieves who are roaming London on mopeds you know that's a huge problem these days and they just snatch watches or handbags off passers-by and um, there's no planning that has gone into that specific theft but they're just out there looking for anything they can find that they can make a bit of money off and those sorts of items get 
get usually resold within hours they'll just take it straight to the local pawnbroker store or the jeweler shop so that's why it's so important for those for those shops to be doing checks um, yeah. to try and protect themselves and the more that they can show look well we're checking everything well the thieves will go elsewhere in that case and yes. that's actually there's that deterrent effect and we've really seen that in Hatton Garden which is where we're based and where we, we we operate started obviously working with the stores who are based in that area um, when we first set up the watch register and everyone was getting on board and initially we were finding lots of stolen watches turning up it's seemingly sort of every day um, in the area but now we hardly ever see stolen watches on Hatton Garden because the thieves simply know not to go there because everyone's doing checks and they will be spotted. There's no point. Um, do Can you tell me about uh, some of your incredible successes that you've had, because I know you've had yeah. loads. <laughs> yeah, sure. Let's see. With with jewellery, one of the recent recoveries that we had was a pair of Marina B earrings. Oh, they were emeralds and diamonds, and uh, they'd been stolen from a safe in Portugal in 2017. The owner had absolutely no idea of it, um, and uh, we located them when they were then uh, offered on the market. And we traced back the ownership history. We were able to identify um, that they were, in fact, the stolen jewellery, uh, the, the stolen items. Um, and, and we located them uh, at, an, at an art fair. So that's another area where we carry out checks is we tend to go to these international fairs and we'll be checking out, uh, checking the items against our database on the day. Um, and many pieces do turn up there. It's not that they're directly offered there, but this would happen when pieces are resold and passed through many different hands. And that's typically what happens when we locate um, stolen goods is they, they tend to surface with an auction house or a dealer um, several years or maybe months after the theft and they pass through many different hands they'll start on the more illegitimate side of the market where people don't really ask too many questions about where things are coming from and maybe know that they're not very legitimate then they'll gradually pass through to the more legitimate market and then they'll eventually emerge um, in, in, in the legitimate trade um, where people are conducting checks or buyers also want to know the provenance of items and that's where we'll typically find them. But we'll always trace back that ownership history and work with the police um, to try and identify the, the perpetrators. Um, what also tends to happen is that when we find one item that is from a theft, um, sometimes that will lead to the recovery of lots of different items yes. from the same theft. So that's what happened with the jewellery from the Duchess of Argyle that was lost in the airports. But also we had a case like this with watches where last year we identified, in fact, on Hatton Garden, one of the few watches we identify there now, stolen Rolex. And it had come from a armed robbery in Greece in Athens the year before where 35 watches had been stolen which were value total value you know half a million euros we worked very closely with the police um, internationally to trace back the ownership history and also identify the, the, the person who was offering the watch for sale and it turned out that they were very closely linked to the main suspect who was then convicted and all of the other 34 watches were found in their home oh so goodness. we managed to obviously make a huge recovery there so that was absolutely fantastic. So um, Katia um, I think it's really important that you tell people we give people some advice about how to protect their um, priceless jewellery and wonderful watches 
So although that would actually put you out of a job if you gave them too much advice. But they'll uh, <laughs> find a way. They're career criminals. They will like, make they are. Actually, unfortunately. Quickly, quickly, before you give advice, I, I'm really quite fascinated. I remember there was a there was an article about a year ago. So we'd been in lockdown for a few months. Someone wrote in the telegraph, people who were suffering the most were thieves because most people were, were at home so they weren't able to go into people's houses to steal oh no oh we've seen all sorts of different thefts and frauds over the last but year with COVID. Just, but did, so there's a, a lot fewer house burglaries obviously because everyone's been at home in lockdown yeah. uh, fewer robberies on the street because people haven't been out so what we've seen is a big increase in fraud specifically so that could be insurance fraud people making multiple claims for the same item with different insurers. They could be selling something online. Someone buys it, but actually the watch or the piece of jewellery never existed in the first place and they've transferred money to someone who's just run away with it. Um, people also, other scammers, have started buying pieces from jewellery stores and then claiming that the item never turned up in the parcel. So claiming that it was stolen in the post, they then get a refund and they've got the item as well. So there's multiple ways that this thing can yeah. happen. Yeah, I mean, there's even been scams where, um, in you know, fraudsters online have been impersonating well-known jewellers or watch dealers and creating fake profiles on social media and selling these, you know, supposed items to the general public when actually they've not had anything there for sale at all and then they run off with the money. So there's always ways to get around this and the criminals are very adept at um, finding the latest tactics and, and loopholes, unfortunately. But that's why we are working so closely with the police, but also with other companies that share intelligence amongst jewellery stores to try and identify these different modus operandi. And obviously eBay is something you keep an eye on. Yeah, yeah. Well, eBay's, <laughs> eBay's a tricky one. Going to the, the words of advice, we'd always recommend that if someone is buying a piece of jewellery um, or a watch, they go to a reputable trader or an auction yeah. house. What does reputable mean? I think, you know, somewhere where they feel um, that they're not going to be scammed, the money's, you know, they're paying a fair price. But also it's really important, regardless of who you're going to, to ask, has the piece that you're looking to buy been checked against our database? And so the best thing to do is to ask for a certificate from the art loss register or if you're buying a watch from the watch register for that specific item to so ask the auction house or the dealer that you're buying from for them to run a search. Um, if they won't do that, potentially that's the, the telltale sign that there is a problem. But you can also request it in your own name and that way you've got your own piece of paperwork, bit yeah. of documentation um, for the piece you're looking to buy. Always ask as many questions as you can about the provenance, you know, where have things come from? Um, when it comes to sites like eBay, Facebook Marketplace, Gumtree, lots of stolen goods are offered on those platforms. So it's really good not to buy um, from those places because you could get scammed. Um, people, I, I've known people to have arranged meetings when they've seen the listing online. Uh, they arrange a meeting with the person offering the item for sale. And it turns out to be a fake watch or um, there's some issue with the, with the transaction that it's reversed and, you know, they lose their money. So it's always best to avoid those sorts of platforms. Also, check the authenticity. Um, of course, the item could be stolen, but it also could be fake. So when we're talking about reputable dealerships, 
they're the sorts of places where these things would be uh, checked uh, to see if they are genuine or not. And also avoid buying things in cash. So that's <laughs> that's something with watches where we see, you know, very often people make trades in cash. There's no record of the transaction. Very hard to get your money back if, if it turns out to be stolen later down the line. And another real telltale sign is that um, if a piece is selling for an incredibly cheap price, you know, a third or half of um, its true value, the deal seemingly is too good to be true. It probably is. So avoid it at all costs. That's what I would say when it comes to buying uh, items of jewellery or watches. Okay. And what about when you um, kind of when you're travelling, but also just when you're out and about, you know, you've you got something like, I think it was Bernie Eccleston who was mugged of an ama- of amazing um, watch a few years ago. I mean, it is people do get mugged on the streets. It's a horrible thing. Um, I mean, I, I, uh, I mean, we talk, let's go one step enorm- more enormous than Kim Kardashian. I mean, she, people say that, I mean, a lot of, a lot of people basically say that one of the reasons she was is because she shows off about it. I mean, social media That's exactly show it. off yeah. about their jewellery. Well, actually, it's silly yeah. because, I mean, I show off about my jewellery, but it's all costume. <laughs> um, beautiful costume jewellery. But, you know... Um, you better think stuff when you're outside. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, in the old days, people had paste pieces of jewellery made up to emulate. Exactly. Um, completely exactly. imitate their beautiful pieces of jewellery. So if they did get lost or stolen, it was... It was yeah, not too bad an idea, I think. Yeah. yeah. But then it's so sad because it's like, well, when do you ever wear it? Your nice piece. I know, and that that is the problem is that it's forced people to become so paranoid and so nervous when they're wearing their piece of jewelry or their watch, um, you know, in the streets. But what I would say on that front is um, echoing what you just mentioned: don't make yourself a target. So don't show off, you know, the bling when you're walking down the street because there will be thieves who are out there who are simply just looking at what is hanging around someone's neck what they're wearing on their wrist and they will seize a moment when you're you know in a quiet car park or you're just making a way home to 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 make their move so it's really important to keep those um really expensive bits of jewelry hidden under your clothing until you've got to wherever you're going and obviously if you're going to a particular event that's fine you know better to show it off there than on your way um yeah this is what exactly get a taxi um this is what happened with kim kardashian is that um you know she was she was robbed um at paris fashion week because she had been showing off all of her jewelry on social media and with celebrities in particular you know, they publicize their movements, they publicize what they're wearing. And so it's very easy for thieves to to latch onto that and know exactly how to target them. So don't make yourself a target. Really important as well is just to document everything you own, um, if it's valuable, as, as best as possible. If you have a watch, take a record of its serial number, take photos of you wearing it. If you have jewelry, the the best way that we can recover it is if we have an image of the item. So photograph it in as much detail as possible. Um, Keep the original paperwork, your your receipt from your original purchase, because that's your proof of ownership. We'll need that when we find it in the future um, and put forward your claim. So all of that is really important. And also don't take pieces of expensive jewellery or watches to the gym or on potentially on holiday where they could get lost. Gym lockers are really really at risk we've had lots of thefts of watches from gym lockers where there's no cctv in the changing rooms we actually had one man who had a watch that we recovered which had been stolen from his gym locker 
So that was brilliant. We were really pleased to have got it back from him. But he took another watch um, to the gym again and it no. got stolen for, for a second time. So it's it's really important to, to remember that these well, You probably can't tell us what gym that was. Where the quiet spots are and, you know, what, what places to target. And obviously have insurance in place so that it, it covers you if you're traveling, if you're at home. Um, and also if you do have a theft, by all means, you know, the first thing to do is contact the Art Loss Register record it on the database as soon as possible because like I said these pieces can be resold within hours um report it to the police um as uh, you know as quickly as possible as well get a crime reference number um and at that point hopefully you should have already taken pictures you have all your documentation so you have everything you need to report the loss at that stage um so we probably should sadly tie things up but I wanted to ask you these rosary beads of, of Mary, Queen of Scots, do you think they'll ever be found? Or do you think that they're, I mean, of course you want them to be found. Well, do you think it's, I, I mean, some, some things are, I mean, I can kind of imagine someone who's, in, and I mean, well, I don't know, I was going to say someone, a devout Catholic, but actually, he, <laughs> hopefully she wouldn't have stolen or he would have stolen a rosary beads. <laughs> oh, it's like it goes against <laughs> the boundary. Orchestrated the theft with the devout Catholic who yeah. really wanted to these. I mean, I just really hope that they are not going to be destroyed um, or melted down, that they stay intact, and hopefully that guilty conscience of the thieves means they throw them back over the fence or abandon them somehow. Um, that's the best yeah. case scenario. So fingers crossed, um, they do stay intact and we get Absolutely. them back. Absolutely, because I mean, it's I mean that actually is more than just a piece of jewelry; it's a piece of art, isn't it? Yeah, it's a yeah. relic. Yeah, yeah. Gosh, Katia, thank you so much for everything. And I'm going to include all the art loss register and the watch register's details on the episode notes. Whoever's listening will, will you know, and has um, lovely pieces of jewelry or watches, you know, or even art, know where exactly. to turn to when, yeah. when, hopefully, never, but if it gets stolen or they get stolen. Artwork, yeah. any collectible, any antique piece furniture whatever it is um people can come to us and yeah. we will assist them with that so okay. very happy to be on the show thank you so much oh, Katia, it's been so nice it's been really lovely thank you thank you bye